Good day, everyone. Today is a very warm day in Israel. Baruch Hashem, everything is fine. We hope for the best. <clears throat> We're uh, going to finish the third parak today in Pirkei Ovos, the last two Mishnayas. Uh, so who are you, Omer? This Mishnah is Rebbe Lozer ben Azariah yet, whom uh, I discussed with you earlier. Uh, he was the uh, co-Nasi, the co Leo, one of the great Mishnah. Uh, he raises the question that we have discussed before. And that is, how do we measure a person? How do we measure greatness? So uh, previously, we had a Mishnah that said that kol sheyiroso kodemes lechochmoso, chochmoso miskayemes. That if a person has yiroso, yiroso, fear, uh, awe, respect, it really means moral grounding. You're a Shemayim. There's two things we say in Davning. You're a Shemayim and you're a Schet. You're a Shemayim is a much more general category. It's a realization that we are always involved with heaven. And that heaven is omnipresent and omniscient and sees what we do, and that we're always in relationship with it. And therefore, there's a respect towards it, the respect that's due to uh, authority, uh, to uh, national interest, uh, that type of respect. And then there is... uh, Yeraschet, which is a fear of doing an Avera. And that uh, I discussed with you, the Mishnah says, Enatoboli de Avera. So the Mishnah personifies sin. Sin has arms, it embraces you. That's the addictive quality of sin that it takes you around. And uh, so uh, if a person is afraid of being addicted, if he is afraid of being embraced by sin, so he's afraid of specific things. It's not the generalization that you're a Shemayim is. But both of those things are necessary because of the fact that people who are arrogant and are not afraid of anything and who have no respect for anything, we see what society looks like. You look at the chaos that exists in the countries today, including our own country. So uh, the Mishnah's taught us that 
wisdom, knowledge, intelligence, theories, plans, programs, all are subservient to whether or not there's a moral grounding. There is no moral grounding if there's no Yerushamayim, if there's no Yerushchet, so then all the wisdom, instead of being beneficial, many times turns out to be extremely harmful because of the fact that somehow all of that uh, intellect, all of that power of understanding is converted to bad causes. It brings great suffering to people instead of bringing any sort of help or succor. So here we have a Mishnah that judges in the same way except uh, from a different angle. Who are you, Omer? Kolshe Chachmoso Meruba Memasov. How does the person behave? What does he do? Now, we have many times that there are great intellectuals, there are great people. Uh, who in their personal lives or in their dealings with others are awful. Terrible people. There was a book written by uh, Paul Johnson, the British historian, called Intellectuals, in which he takes six or seven of the leading intellectuals of the Enlightenment, Rousseau and others, and describes how they behaved in their life. And they were, all, they were abominable people. And yet they produced all of these high-sounding, great, noble ideas for how mankind should proceed. So... Uh, we live in a world that we judge people by what they say. That's the whole social media thing. And that's why uh, political leaders are always judged by what they say or what they write. And they're rarely judged by what they really are, how they really behave. Because many times uh, the two things never jive. I saw uh, this morning, it's a silly example, but it's an example that uh, Dr. Fauci, who insists that everybody wear a mask all the time, is sitting with two of his friends without a mask. Because uh, we all know that... uh, uh, do uh, do what I say, but I can do what I want to do. I'm not bound by what I say. So therefore, it's limited what we hear. And we have to examine everything that is said. The person that said it, what kind of a person is he? You know, we made a bracha on the Haftorah 
Asher Bochar Binibim Tovim. God chose good, righteous people to be prophets. Because it's possible, apparently, to be a prophet and not be a good person. Bilam is a good example. There were others. You can be a prophet, but you're not a good person. So then you're not a role model for me. And we're looking for role models. We're looking for people that we could imitate. Who through their behavior lends themselves to being the spiritual leaders of the people and the political leaders as well. There was a time in the United States, and I mean, I think that time is gone now. I hope not, but it seems to be. That, for instance, we were taught in first grade that George Washington was an honest person. And that Abraham Lincoln was a very honest person who walked in the snow to give back change to someone that he had charged money for. And those were the legends that were told to us. Today, uh, we're not willing to grant that to uh, our leaders. We're not willing to say that they're good people, that they ever did anything good. That's not the heroic part of that. And therefore, in the United States, they want to uh, remove Washington because he owned slaves. Or they want to remove Lincoln because he didn't give full emancipation right away, whatever. But that whole change in attitude is a reflection of the change in society. So when I grew up, we wanted to think that these were all good people. In our world, where everything is transparent and every flaw is meant to be emphasized, so uh, it's hard to find a good person. And even when there is a good person, they uh, not really. So there are no heroes. There's nobody that we can teach our children about. You know, people criticize uh, uh, books uh, published basically for the Haredi public, but uh, generally speaking, uh, I have an evolution in this, an involvement. When I first started to write uh, regarding Jewish history, so uh, I naturally realized that there are no perfect people. And I thought, therefore, that if I write about so-and-so, who was a great man and who did great things, but he had this and this imperfection, I should include the imperfections as well. And I really thought that that was the honest way to do it. Um, that was, uh, you know, so that would give a full picture of that person. I had an editor and a publisher 
that uh, disagreed with me. And they said, that's not our job. Our public, when they buy a book, when they want to read a book, they're interested for inspiration. They're interested to have a more positive sense. So we're not telling you to falsify history. We're not telling you to say what did not happen. But we don't have to say everything that we know about everybody in order for the book to be honest. And I resisted that for a long time. Uh, but I've come around to that by now. Not because of the pressure of the publishers, but because I understand that the purpose is to improve people and therefore uh, not to uh, denigrate them. Now we find, for instance, in Tanakh, Tanakh tells us everything about everybody. We find that the Gomorrah, the Talmud tells us everything about everybody. That comes to prevent making human beings more than human beings. But on the other hand, we should not make them less than human beings either because of personal failings. And the personal failing can be a very minor one. I remember uh, I once was by a very great Talmud Chacham, a great Jew, and I came to uh, purchase uh, a book that he that he had published, and he was uh, he, he was the uh, person that you had to buy the book from, and uh, I went to the shelf to take out the book. And he was annoyed that I did it because he said, no, you're going to mix up the books. I have to do it. And I felt uh, an instant. I had a flash, you know. It's not nice, you know. Customer's always right. And then I thought it over and I thought, you know, no, he's right. I'm... uh, a guest in his house, it's not my job to mess around with his bookcase. But for an instant, he was less than a great man by me. And I realized how dangerous that is. So, uh, the uh, Mishnah teaches us that a person's behavior has to be, if not greater, at least the equal of what he says. He shouldn't be hypocrite. His wisdom should not be greater than his behavior. So uh, you have people that are, uh, you know, uh, mental health specialists and they themselves aren't uh, necessarily all there. So there's no perfection here. But the Mishnah points out that if someone does not live up to one's own wisdom, 
to one's own assertions. So then he is like a tree that is top-heavy, that has no root structure. And when that happens, when the winds blow, or when there's a drought, that tree is doomed because it has no strong root structure. There are many trees here in Israel like that, that they look great and firm and strong, but since their root structure is weak, they really won't stand the test of time. Whereas the great giant trees that are so strong and last so long, they, their root structure is forever. I remember when I was once in California in Sequoia National Park, and you saw the great sequoias in trees that are thousands of years old. There's one tree there from the time of Avroma Vino, and it's still alive. Remarkable. Probably one of the oldest living organisms on the planet. And the ranger explained that it has a root structure that stretches for miles. And therefore it is able to survive. But if the root structure is only on the surface, if it's not very deep, so then any uh, strong wind can come along and topple it. So that has to do with our concept of wisdom and intelligence and intellect as well. If we don't behave, if there's no masim that are able to uh, fall into the category of what our chokhmah is, so then we're really in trouble. And we see that over and over again, people that have, you know, grandiose ideas, how to fix society, how to make everything equal, how to make a perfect world. They themselves are, you know, they they don't have to uh, live by it. They don't behave that way. And that is a, a real statement. The Noviona points out when he describes the city of Ninveh. So he came to Ninveh and he said, Forty days Ninveh will be turned over. So the people of Ninveh understood that to mean that it'll be turned over, there'll be an earthquake, whatever. A natural disaster will strike it and they'll all be destroyed. So they came and they spoke to the king, to the wise men. And the wise men said, we have to do tshuva. So we have to put on sackcloth, and we have to fast, and we have to pray. So the Tanakh points out to us that the king and the wise men did it themselves. They didn't tell the people to do it. Because if you tell the people to do it, that's not enough. 
all parents know that children imitate what the parents do, not necessarily what they say. A house that sees parents in tranquility and harmony with each other. So then the children, that becomes their normalcy. But a house that sees only friction, so no matter how many times you'll tell the children be good to each other, they're never gonna be good to each other because that's not what they see. It's not what they experience. That's not what the, their milieu is. And therefore, any little thing blows them over. And that's such an important lesson in life. So we judge people not only by what they say and not only by what they appear to be and not only by what they espouse, but what they are. And unfortunately, many times our leaders disappoint us, not because of their policies, but because of their personalities, because of what they are. And the greatness of everybody that appears in Tanakh is how the Tanakh describes the person. How did they behave? And if uh, you have the case, for instance, of uh, Yerovam ben Nevot, who was the first king of Israel, so the Gemara holds him to be one of the great Rishoyim in the world because he brought the northern kingdom to idolatry that it never recovered from it. And, but he had the potential, the Gemara says, that he was Mechadish Chidushim of Torah that hadn't been done until his time. He was a great, a great uh, Talmudic scholar. He was a great uh, Talmud Chacham. And not only that, he had the connection to heaven. The Gemara says that he has a dream, and in the dream, uh, heaven tells him, uh, if you do tshuva, then aniva atol ben yishai netayel bagon. You will come kaviochel with me, meaning with heaven, and Dovr Melech, we're going to walk together in Ganeim. That's a pretty good offer. So he said, me Barosh, who will go first, David or me? So I haven't answered him, David goes first. He said, if that's the case, I don't want it. So that's a description of the inner person, of the ego, the hubris of the person. So what good does it do that he's such a scholar? Because when the wind blew, he came and he became an idolater. When it paid for him. And how many times do we find in Jewish history where great Jews have been seduced by outside forces, wealth, position, power, ideas, and so even though they had great chokhmah, 
nevertheless, it's a uh, tree that has no roots. It will not stand the test of time. It will not be a giant sequoia. And that is such an important message. And so that's what he says, that uh, if you have a great root structure and the leaves won't wither, the uh, flowers will always blossom, you will renew yourself. But that is dependent on your behavior. On masa merubi mechachmosa. That what you do is greater than what you your intellect of what you think. There also is an idea here, a very uh, simple idea, and that is many times we think we're smarter than heaven. We think we figured it out better. You know, for uh, thousands of years, there have existed within the Jewish people, people who wanted to make Judaism more attractive. And the whole basis of much of what we see today is based on that. We want to be more inclusive. Uh, we want it to be nicer. We want it to be more beautiful. So we have a, a brisa in Kodshim that says, we say it in the Korbonus every morning, Loma Ema Arvimbo Dvash. Why don't we put honey on the altar? If we did so, the Gemara says, Its fragrance would be so attractive, nobody could resist it. It would make the, the altar the most attractive in the world. People would come from all over just to experience that fragrance. So Loma, why don't we do it, right? We have a chance to make the temple service so attractive and so beautiful and everybody will be able to join in. And he says, Ki Torah Amra, but what can I do? The Torah said, you're not allowed to put honey on the Mizbeach. So you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to substitute your judgment for heavenly judgment. Because in the long run of history, all those bright ideas of the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries are in the ashes today. Nobody believes in them anymore. They're not part of the Jewish world anymore. But they've left, they've left a, a trail of destruction that's uh, indescribable. And we see it repeated over and over again. Uh, people, rabbis or people come and say, well, the Torah didn't really mean this. And we can make it more attractive. And it'll be nicer. And it'll fit into society. And the Bryce warned us, Nei Torah Amra, 
I can't do it. I agree that it, the fragrance will be irresistible. But I can't help it. Don't put honey on the mizbech. And that's based on the idea in the Novi Yeshayahu that's been repeated over and over again. We'll say it in the Aftor for Mincha and Tishabot. It's the Aftor that we always read on a tiny Sibu. Tishabot has two Aftoras. In the morning we read from Yirmiyo or Sofa Sifeim and from Mincha from Yeshayo. But the Yeshayo said, It's not... You can't compare, right? I'm not like you. So if I tell you something and you don't understand it, you know, I'm sorry, but that's why I'm telling it to you for your benefit. And it's interesting that in life, uh, you go to uh, experts in any field, medicine, law, finance, etc., and they give you expert advice. And most of the time you don't ask them, you know, uh, what, what, explain to me how, how this medicine works. They give you the prescription, you take it to the druggist, you fill it, you, drink, you eat it. You don't stop to ask, you know, maybe we could make a better, you know, that's not how human beings work. When it comes to however, our faith and our observance, oh, then we're smarter. Then we say, well, they really didn't mean it, and they really, it could be something else, and has to be adjusted, etc., etc. Very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. And uh, again, over the long period of Jewish history, we don't have to go back far, just go back the last 100 years, 150 years. Look at it. The Novi says, Take a look at what happened. Look at your path in the valley. Look, look where you went. Look what happened to you. Did reform really settle anything? Did it improve you? Did taking out the Yukum Purkans make it a more meaningful service? But uh, people have uh, enough arrogance to say that somehow they know better. So that's mass of merubi mechachmasa. Don't let your chachma rule you. So you need your shemayim and you need your aschet and you need masim tovim and you have positive action and don't do things that are bad and then you will be like a tree that has a strong root structure. And uh, it's interesting, I always uh, am impressed, people make family trees. You know, who your grandfather, your great-grandfather, there are people who have family trees of a few hundred years. Why is it compared to a tree? 
because the lineage is based on this, because if there were strong roots, then there'll be strong branches, there'll be strong leaves, there'll be a future. But if there is no, uh, no root structure, then there's not going to be anything. And uh, there are many, many companies today, it's an industry where they'll trace your ancestry. And if they can't trace it, they'll make it up and give it to you. But whatever it is, because people want to know where, how, who, who am I? What, what genetic makeup do I have within me? And that is part of the great root structure that Judaism provides us with. The final Mishnah is a difficult Mishnah. So there are the halachas, kufos, they are all parparos lechokma. Parparos lechokma means the side dishes that you get when you order a good meal. So they put side dishes. There's a famous fish restaurant here in Yerushalayim, where before they bring you the main course, they give you like 10 side dishes, so never you can never finish the main course. The parparos, l'chochma is, in the Torah, there are inyonim that are difficult for us to understand. Kinim, the laws of birds from one nest to another nest, and they jump back and forth. How do you know which bird to bring, which bird not to bring? So those are mathematical calculations, probabilities. Really, it's an advanced form of mathematics that most of the Rishonim want to deal with. There are Mishnahis there that are so difficult that Rabbi Kiva says on one of the Mishnahs, he doesn't know Pshat, which uh, when I saw that, I was greatly strengthened. And uh, other halachas and kufus and mazolos, astronomy, and knowing how uh, our calendar works and how the stars work and what's doing in space, all of that are parparos lechokhmah. They're the side dishes that are included in Torah. When you order the main dish, you get that too. And therefore, everything has importance and everything has taste and everything should be valued. And that's why we find that throughout the Torah and certainly throughout the Gemara, that all of the side issues are also addressed. And they also have stature because there's something that we learn from it and that becomes the wisdom that sustains us and helps build our root structure in a strong and efficient fashion. So we finished the third parak, and I want to thank you all for listening. And I, uh, we're going to have on uh, Tuesday the uh, Parsha Shear this week, because Wednesday's Erev Tishabah and Thursday's Tishabah. So it'll be on Tuesday, uh, Parsha Shear of Eschanun. And I thank you all for listening and stay well.
and we'll hear good news from each other. Cold tube cello.